Father God, would you please now speak to us through your word, through my weak and foolish words, and help us see the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated. Well, uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 25 and we're looking at three reflections on the parable of the talents. And the first thing I'd like to say is this, first, treat what you have as a gift that God has entrusted you. Treat what you have as a gift that God has entrusted you with. The master entrusts each of the slaves with the talents. A talent was a sum of money equivalent to about 15 years, a laborer's salary. So it was quite significant. And remember that these were slaves. They had no property. All that they had was dependent on the master. And all that we have is gift. We forget that. We think that life, that what we have, the gifts and abilities we exercise, our money and our possessions, we think that they're ours. And if they're ours, we can do with them what we want. If, however, they are not ours, and we know that one day we will need to give an account for them, then it changes dramatically what we do with them. We now don't have a car uh, back in the United Kingdom. So when we were last back in the United Kingdom, some friends very kindly lent us a car. It didn't belong to us. It was a gift from them to us, and we knew we had to return it to them. So I tell you this, I was so much more careful when I drove that car than I was if it was my own car. You know, if my own car got a dent on it, well, it just added to all the other dents that it already had. But I did not want to put a dent on their car. All that we have is gift on loan from God. And as gift, it is an expression of his love and also an expression of his trust in us, that he is giving us responsibility. And because it is on loan, one day we will need to give an account for what we have done with the gift, the talents that he has given us. I, I was reading Metropolitan Anthony, a, a book that he's written called Living Prayer, uh, a month or two ago. And he writes about how when we say that something is mine, we cease to receive it as a gift. He writes, and I found this very profound, and we need to spend a bit of time thinking about this. We should never attempt to appropriate things to ourselves, because to call something ours, and not a constant gift of God, means less and not more. If it is mine, it is alien to the relationship of mutual love. If it is his and I possess it from day to day, from split second to split second, 
It is a continuously renewed act of divine love. The devil loves making people rich. People sometimes pray, God, make me rich. And they become rich. And they think it's an answer to prayer, a sign of God's blessing. But it may not be a sign that God's face is turned to them, but a sign that they are seeking the wrong things and that his face is turned away from them. Riches make us proud. They make us look down on others. They blind us to our need for God. They make us forget God. On one occasion, an influential, rich young man asked Jesus what he had to do. He claimed to have followed all the commandments. Jesus looks at him, Jesus loves him, and Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and come and follow me. In other words, live daily in dependence on me, on my love. And when we realize that all that we have is a gift of love, then we don't need to fantasize about having the perfect marriage or the perfect children or the perfect image or the perfect circle of friends or the perfect church. When I came here and saw you lot, I gave up on that one. (laughs) I remember hearing Dick Lucas, a preacher in London, saying that when he started his ministry in St. Helen's Bishopsgate in London, He dreamt about converting people who would be, in his sight, significant and influential. And the first person who God led him, led him to was someone with serious learning disabilities. And if what we have is a gift of love, we can be set free from being resentful of other people who seem to have greater talents than us. We talk about, there's an English phrase about having eyes bigger than your stomachs. And often our ambitions are bigger than our abilities. And if what we have is a gift of love, exactly right for us, then we cannot look down on those we consider have fewer talents than us. And for that matter, who are we to judge uh, which are the real talents that heaven treasures? And we do not need to envy those who we consider to have more talents than us. The point about this parable is that it's not what you have that matters. It's how we handle what we have that matters. The reward for the person with five talents is exactly the same as the reward for the person with the two talents. And the reward is astonishingly personal. Enter into the joy of your master. Your master, your God, delights in you. And not only that, he will share his joy with you so that you can delight in what he delights and you can even delight in his delight in you. God has entrusted us with exactly what he has given us at exactly the right time so that we might grow to know his love and to be filled with his love. 
And then secondly, we use what we've been given in his service. Proverbs 24 says, I passed by the field of one who was lazy, by the vineyard of a stupid person. And see, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. John Ortberg writes, everybody gets a vineyard. When you were born, you got a vineyard. You got your body, your mind, your will, and some relationships. You got financial resources and the chance to do some good work. You got a soul. Everybody gets a vineyard, and that vineyard is your one and only shot on this planet. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. And you don't even have to care for it on your own. God will partner you. We have been given five talents, two talents, one talent, it doesn't matter, to be used in the service of our God. How? Well, one of the key principles that threads itself through Scripture is the idea of deliberately choosing to set aside a portion of what we have for God, of offering God a sacrifice. We give back to him a portion of what he has given to us as a recognition that everything that he has given us belongs to him. We have the gift of time. Set aside some time daily to pray and seek God. I was speaking with someone this week who told me that when he had done that, on just one occasion, he got up early to be with God, and God had spoken to him very clearly and very specifically. Now, I have to say, that's not usual. Others tell me that they get up and pray daily and they long to hear God speak to them. But we are slaves, we are servants, and we do not spend time with God for what we will get out of it. We spend time with God because we recognize that he is God, and we are his servants, and we are giving a bit of our time to him. Actually, we will get an enormous amount out of it, but that's secondary. We have material possessions. Again, set aside a portion of your income to give. Set it aside deliberately, consciously. The very act of doing that it is your act of worship. To give specifically to the church for worship and the task of preaching Christ, we really need that. I'm not just talking about here at St. Andrews, but the church of God throughout this land throughout this world we need people who will finance the work of the church because people are financing all the things of the world that are out there and yet so often the church seems to be sort of making do on handouts uh, and i mean so that we can give and also we give to those who are in need if you want to know how much, a biblical principle is that we give 10% of our income. It's a principle, it is not a law. Some of you here will never be able to afford that, not at the moment, and you should not be giving that. You're struggling, maybe we should be supporting you. And maybe others here can afford to give far more. And we have the body that God has given us. Look after your body. Don't make it your God. 
that's an equal that 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 that's a mistake that so many people fall into but do those exercises eat healthily not all the time but most of the time keep fit so that you are ready to use your body in his service and we have the relationships god has given us cherish them Remember that someone else could do the job that you are doing and probably do it better than you. But nobody can be the friend or the husband or the wife or the parent that you can be. And in the end, it's our relationships that really matter. We have our gifts and abilities and callings. Use them to serve God. There's a story that's doing the rounds on preaching websites, and I can't find the source, but it's very helpful in this. Martin Luther was approached by a working man who wanted to know how he could serve God. Luther asked him, what is your work now? The man said, I'm a shoemaker. Much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Luther didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes. He didn't tell the man to leave his shoe business and become a monk or a minister or an evangelist. As Christians, we can faithfully serve God in a variety of vocations and jobs, and we don't need to justify that work in terms of its spiritual value or evangelistic usefulness. We simply pursue our calling with new God-glorifying motives, goals and standards. Or as John Ortberg wrote, writes, work the land that is your land, your body, your life, your relationships, your work, because that vineyard is all you have. If it's ever going to be different, it won't be because the vineyard fairy comes along and sprinkles fairy dust on it. It will be because you asked God to help you. It will be because you've asked him, what's the next step that you want me to take? And thirdly, guard against spiritual laziness. The man said that he buried the one talent because he was scared of the master. That is clearly not the case. If he was genuinely afraid of the master, then he would, as the master have said, done something with the money, even if it was getting interest from it from the bank. The real reason he didn't do anything with the talent is because what the master says is true. He is wicked. By his refusal to do anything with the money, he is, in effect, denying that he has any obligation to the master. And he is lazy. He could not be bothered to do anything. It's easy to be spiritually lazy, to become spiritually lazy. Don't stop coming to church because coming to church is boring. I know at this particular point in time, people are having to stop coming to church for health reasons, and that's absolutely right. Um, but, but, but don't let it become an excuse or a habit that we get into. Don't stop praying just because your prayer time has become boring. Yes, try and find fresh ways of praying. Read about prayer. Talk with someone about exploring new ways of prayer. There are a whole load of suggestions on our website, and uh, there's a link to, to that on this talk again on our website. 
But don't stop praying, don't stop reading the Bible, don't stop meeting with other Christians. Continue, push through the pain barrier. Um, Emma Maria, forgive me for, for, for using you as an illustration. Now, Emma Maria is, is a, a professional violinist. And um, Emma Marie puts aside a lot of time for practice. Now, Emma Marie doesn't say, this practice is so boring, although I suspect it feels like that much of the time. This practice is so boring, so I'm not going to do it. She has to do it. Don't stop using your gifts to do good, to serve the people of God. Remember that Jesus here is actually speaking to his disciples. Don't stop using your gifts to preach Christ because it gets hard or it gets boring. Of course it'll get hard and boring at times. Anything that is really worth it will get hard and boring at times. Don't give it up because there seems to be no reward or fruit from your work or people take you for granted. Remember that we are slaves entrusted with a precious gift of love from our Father in heaven. The tragedy is, if, is that if we do not use the little that we do have for God, it's not just that we're being wicked, not just that we're being lazy, it's not just that we will face judgment, and my word, that passage, Old Testament passage, was quite, quite, quite serious about the sort of future judgment. But the, even the little that we have will be taken away from us. And the glory, though, is that if we do make some effort to use the little that we have in a little way for God, then we will not lose our reward. The story is told of the brilliant cellist who was terrified of playing in public. She finally agreed and was due to perform in one of the largest concert halls in London. The day came. The hall was full. She came onto the stage, sat down, and began to look around anxiously for a bit. People got a bit nervous, but then she settled down and began to play, and it was beautiful. The critics put down their pens after ten minutes, and like everyone else, they listened. And at the end, the crowd rose as one, and there was rapturous applause. But the cellist seemed unmoved, and instead of receiving the applause, was anxiously peering out into the audience until she finally saw something, and then she relaxed. And then she enjoyed the applause of the crowd. Later, when the critics asked her what she was looking for, she explained, I was terrified of performing, but my master teacher said that he would be there. When I came onto the stage, I looked to see where he was, but I could not see him. I wanted to run away, but instead I stayed. And I made the decision that I would trust that he was there even though I couldn't see him. And I played as if he was my only audience. 
Again, at the end, I tried to look to see him. And this time, I finally did see him. He was on the balcony, standing on his feet, with a smile on his face, and he was applauding. And only then was I happy to receive the applause of the audience. My friends, my brothers and sisters, during your life you will have many audiences. But there's only one audience that matters. We live in faith that he is in the room. And we use our gifts for him. And then on that final day, as we stand before him, he will look at us and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, give us the grace to use the gifts of love that you have given us in your service and to your glory and for your delight. Amen.